3: The Team Never Quit podcast is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. Partner with Navy Federal Credit Union to pay down credit card debt. Learn more at NavyFederal.org.
1: Al Qaeda had been seriously, seriously weakened from all of our attacks against them over the years. We called it mowing the grass. Remember, Mark? He's like, just keep killing them off. Eventually, there's you know not going to be anybody left. And it worked.
0: This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup.
3: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Team Never Quit Podcast. We are very excited for the show. Today we have on Chris Miller. Before we dive into Chris and his story, let's kick this off with our Patreon question of the day. What is the most ridiculous thing someone has tricked you into doing or believing?
0: Doing or believing.
3: I can, uh, Go I ahead. can start you off got on one? this one. The most, most ridiculous thing that someone or you has tricked me into doing annually is diving into the coldest water annually, every single year at Christmas, before Christmas. Oh, it makes you tough. <laughs> you don't have fun doing that. Yeah, every single year. Christmas Eve Eve. We have to dive into the nearest lake or body of water when it is just freezing outside. That's the new It's called in the our, cleanse.
0: Anywhere. Cleanse our souls. The polar plunge. The polar plunge, yeah.
3: And uh yeah, it's, it's a thing. It's actually, cold, man, we
0: on record though, last year this year or last year was the coldest in the history of Earth. And we were actually in the water, just me and you. So congratulations. How about
1: you? Oh man, Marcus. That's like that's a really good one. Most ridiculous thing. I was going to come up with something pithy, like uh, my wife uh, talking me into marrying her, but she would get really, really upset with that because <laughs> I was the one who tricked her. You know, so it's kind of the obvious. Yeah, but you know, did we? Top, did we words. trick them,
0: or did we get tricked by tricking them? I, you know, that's women. You can't figure
1: that out. <laughs> that was my one. Man, I was like, "Dog, go on, man. That's a great question." You know, and then the, uh, like, I had this one. Well, I had this one every April fools, every April fools. My kids are like 21, 27, 28 right now. And I've been doing this ever since Bill Belichick started coaching um, and winning. And I will send, like, I will do a dummy uh, post about how Bill Belichick is, you know, resigning or moving to the uh, Bengals or something. And every year, you know, my one daughter will take the lead and she'll get, Oh my gosh. And then my son, of course, like dad, because he's connected, right? He's right. getting live feeds on everything. Bill Belichick literally can walk outside and get in his car. And my son will like, hey, Bill Belichick just went to this car. So he's like. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, okay, check. So I, but for me, man. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good question. So that's. Yeah, that's a good question. What, what, are, what do you got, Marcus? Think, I've had a little time to think about it. I, I,
0: tricking me into. I, I had to say cooking. Mm-hmm. Like recipes. Like, we, we do, do craw, we do a crawfish bowl here every year. And the way I learned how to cook crawfish, they were like, this is the only way you do it. This is the best. You do it like this, you put the water in there and do it. And then um, I think it was a few years back, right before quarantine, this kid rolled in on me. He had to be 18, 19 years old. And I don't remember why we hired him to cook the crawfish and I wasn't doing it, but for whatever reason, my brother was there. My whole crew, we were sitting there watching this kid. <laughs> I think it might have been Easter or something. And, uh, of course, we're all over there surrounding. We're like, hey, this is how you need to do this. He's like, no, I got a different way. Just trust me. He's like, I understand the way you've been doing it. It works. It does. But I, I, I just got this way. I, I like to do it. Just just let me show it to you. Don't trust me. Uh, don't do any of that. Just let me show it to you. And man, we were talking smack because we I come from a family full of Cajuns, man, they'll literally kill you. If that stuff, doesn't. that's like you can't even come back, hang out if you don't get this right. Man. Am I lying, Hunter? And no, you're no, not, it's, you're it's not wrong. Deal.
3: It's gotta be spicy. It's, got, yeah, extra, it's gotta
0: be good. Extra spicy. So I we get back, and sure enough, man, he, he cooks them and delivers the batch over, and it was it was it was the best. It was better than, than we were doing it. Not only that, when I went back to one of the Cajun family reunions, I got put in charge of cooking, and they were like, hey, this better be good. And I did it the new way that kid showed me. And they were like, that's awesome. You cooking the whole time. And I was like, okay. And I even tried to do it the new way and they would come over and scream. He's like, no, you got to do it this way. I'm like, trust me or don't trust me. Just let me fricking do it. Just let me, let me do this for you and I'll just show you. So I think that is how, like, when you're young, it gets put into you. This is, it's not necessarily good, bad or indifferent. It's just oh, the way, right? Yeah. That's a funny one. That's a great question. I could think all day well, on that one. I'll have to come back. To I bet you Hunter's
1: got one. I, I guarantee you. Well, mine was the the polar plunge. The polar
3: plunge. Um, oh, I've, oh that, I, mean, I, I oh, I'm, I'm, I'm on
1: video, man. I can't see anybody moving their lips. Who who's sitting next to you?
3: John, we got John right here.
0: Hi. Oh,
1: John's not allowed to talk speak. He, he's I mute. just
0: hadn't answered yet. No. But <laughs> I am a oh, bro, well, I, <laughs> I got you, Hunter. Say could, something. Dude, Hello. I'm sitting
1: uh, in a doggone Holiday Inn Express in Knightsville, Florida. Uh, I w- you guys didn't invite me to come out there to text. No, I'm just kidding. I knew, <laughs> I knew you would bring me on, but sorry, I couldn't do that. So I'm sorry, I didn't see you moving your lips. That Hunter was the polar plunge. Got it. Yeah, go ahead, John.
0: Mine. I remember one time, uh, like when I was just starting to play guitar, this guy had me come join him to play his set, and I realized halfway through, he was getting paid to have me play his show. It's like very clever, sir. Very clever.
1: That's called (laughs) mentoring. Yeah, that's what that is. (laughs) (laughs) I do not remember what was, I can't remember was Huck Finn or Tom Sawyer. It was one of those books that we had to read growing up, right? That you're supposed to read in like probably junior high. Where didn't Tom Sawyer get Huck Finn to paint the fence or whatever? Or maybe I had it
3: backwards. But so he kind of pulled that on you.
1: Yep, exactly. (laughs)
3: <laughs> mr miyagi too right that's right man a i was gonna bit, say yeah. some of that stuff's lessons deck, paint the bits, yeah. a, it's
0: the best way to learn lessons when you
1: when when hunter, someone gets- hunter went there mr miyagi so oh, yeah. he's got he's got the depth of
3: uh of, you can't believe it. it i've been training this generation. freaking this is you know shit. i grew uh, up hey. with he he, yeah. he put me on the old old classics i mean growing from up from the
0: minute i walked into the house i have a hunter and an axe and and both of them are sharp and what if i send him a hunter you know he's deadly He's, yeah, he's Miyagi trained, and he's got a little bit of Cobra Kai in him. He's me too, huh?
1: I didn't hold back on either, Marcus. <laughs> I'll let I, life I, shave him out. I I got. I'd like to come down and visit you down there and just see your. Comp- I'm sure you got the compound where you got like. I do. You can go out and do all shoot there guns, is. do some hand to hand. It's just got, like you got got would think. Kids, That's why they call it the Valhalla. Kids. Yeah, man. <laughs>
0: yeah I true cool. i live in I live in Valhalla. if y'all are wondering that's it's a real place and it,
3: that has everything he just said and more Give you a brief background that we have uh, today we have a great guest for you guys. Chris Miller is a retired United States Army Special Forces colonel who served as acting United States Secretary of Defense. He previously served as director of the National Counterterrorism Center as well. He's also retired u s Army officer and began his military career as an enlisted infantryman in the Army Reserve. He transferred to the Special Forces and served in numerous command and staff positions within the 5th Special Forces Group, Airborne. Chris participated in the initial combat operations in Afghanistan in 2001 and Iraq in 2003. In addition to numerous follow-on deployments to both theaters, and his extensive interagency and joint special operations experience. Welcome to the show, Chris.
1: Hey, I'm absolutely honored. Uh, Marcus' first book event. I'm just saying. So thanks for having me. I couldn't imagine like you know a more meaningful rollout. I guess this is the book launch officially. You know, yeah. in some ways. But I don't want to talk about the book. I want to. I want to. You know, thank oh, you we, for we what will. you've done since you left. Yeah, no, we're going to we're going to
0: talk about it. And then, that's the difference. I remember back when. When I started doing this, the, uh, you couldn't get books online. That's not how it worked. And I remember when that was coming on, all the authors were like, ah, oh, it's going to ruin everything. I was like, nah, it's going to be a transition. And now you get to do a book tour, that, uh, not virtually. only on the road, <laughs> yeah. but virtually, which is great. Yeah, I, I loved being on the road, doing that, going into I, – I, someone told me one time, I was like, you can't ever be in a bad mood in a bookstore. And, and that's true. That's true. It's like You walk into like a, a, a big, like a Barnes and & Noble, and the way that just everything that's in there, it's – it's a it's a good time. I had a blast on well, those book hey, tours.
1: What was that like when you saw your book on the shelf for the first time? <sighs>
0: no one's ever asked me <laughs> that.
2: It
1: must have been like it must have been like. Oh, this gah.
0: must be not be the first time it's I ever thought real.
1: about it. H- oh, humbling.
2: Yeah.
1: You
0: gotta understand. I was still in the military. I had the military mindset, so it was more like orders and. This guy, eh,
1: eh. No one's ever asked me that. That's oh, a, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, it's good. Well, now it makes me think the about it. Because publishers like, they're like the most, the best-selling It was unbelievable. Book. come out of our war is your book. I was like, that's a good sign. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, it was, um, to be chosen to carry that one was as something.
2: It's a heavy burden, yeah, but right. it's also it's such an honor to be able to tell all the guys' stories and keep their memory alive. I mean, as long as that, I mean, it, it's not about the book selling, it's about the story being told and repeated over and over. And as long as that carries on, those guys will always live on. So, well, the,
0: the way I figured that if, it, if it wound up on TNT or on Memorial Day and Veterans Day,
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: then we did well.
3: The movie, yeah. yeah.
0: And then, and then how I know it got solidified is I've run across an individual or, or excuse me, a couple that named their son after one of my teammates, yeah, from, from the, all of them, yeah. all of them have been renamed. Yeah. And triplicate some of them.
2: Yeah.
0: So that's, I mean, you can make the movies and the books, those can burn, and then you can't see that, but that is was was when we got it done.
1: That must have been surrealistic for you guys to have that impact. And I, I know, you know, you, you end up going, well, this is just, this is the direction, you know, our, our faith has taken us, but that must have just been like to have such an impact Dude, I remember. You don't remember. I was on that. Uh, you went out to the basic training brigade in South Carolina with our good friend uh, Kent Solheim, who was was part of the Captain America. Come yeah. up there. How about that freaking and, guy? And, <laughs> and, and how and, about know, that dude? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, Kent. <laughs> I mean, Kent come me, on. Kent, come on, don't give Kent any <laughs> I, I
0: you, I,
2: you know,
1: you know what? I'm not
0: going to anymore.
2: Well, that Mark freaking Pins guy. Has
0: got to work you, you harder. Can't. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't even. What a terribly, ter- what a terrible, awesome, terrible. I know.
1: Can't do Now he's got like, you know, <laughs> perfect teeth.
0: To- you know, his breast smells like NyQuil all the time, probably, <laughs> or, or some kind of something from bed bath. His hair is always perfectly combed. Even when we were on that freaking mountain, after days, <laughs> he would take his hat, helmet out and the freaking hair would just be perfect. He had that like a Mentos smile. Dude, missing a leg still runs faster than me.
2: He's like a G.I. Joe. He
0: is. That's him, man. Like, oh, yeah. That's him. Or yeah. Captain What's that
1: yeah. one? And then to... Kent, you know, he is the quintessential Green Beret, man. Oh, he's, man he is yeah. like the poster boy. And then, you know, Kent, when he's not, like, working full time as an Army colonel and pushing troops and, like, really training the next generation, mentoring. And that was why it was so cool to see you at that thing. Because that was the first time I'd ever, uh, you know, I ran across you back there twenty coming on 20 years ago, but, of course, didn't know you. Uh, when we went up there, went up that damn mountain, uh, which was epic, you know, dude, it was, I, I know you were a hell of a lot hotter and a lot more hurt than we were, but I just remember how hot it was that day. I remember the sun comes up and, and the sun, dude, the, I, I didn't know the sun could come up so early. I don't know whether it was where we were in the world or something, but it was like five o'clock. Right? The that, sun-
0: that must be some kind of dent in the earth where we were at because it would
1: freeze or it'd be hot as hell and Go ahead. I'm sorry. What, I'm so what did- was up with that? I'm I, I, what was <laughs> no up with man. that? And the sun comes up, and dude, it was like, I'm not kidding you. It was like 85 Fahrenheit in the morning. I was like, this is this is gonna be a day. But, uh, you, you know, so Kent was there, and then we then, you know, Kent now is run, put mentoring, and he brought you in for that uh, professional development for the kids. Well, you can't call them kids, the young soldiers to hear you, and he had the cadre and to hear you uh and your ability to talk to them and w- meet them where they were and to tell them your story i mean i was just in awe i just like and then they'd be like does anybody else have anything to say and i'm like i'm not saying anything you know and then the one guy the intel guy that was on there he'd say something you're like typical intel guy right you're like, they have Dude, to that's a, they, they can't, he they had can't to say them. something I was they, like, they just have let to. marcus go they have to say something just uh-huh. let Marcus go. And then come up with, well, then the bot fifteen rate on the uh QR fifty six <laughs> that we had flying Aren't they overhead. Great? <laughs> but yeah. the way you communicate and then can't we'll close out with Kent, like so when he's not like uh either doing PT mentoring people, he's got that nonprofit where he's helping out veterans. You're like, yeah. I just I do not like Kent no. loser because he's the person. <laughs> Nobody that I likes be. that dude. And he's just like still giving back. While he's on active duty, and he'll probably get in trouble for us talking about. It, he'll have his general come in there, like Kent. We heard you on Marcus Luttrell's yeah. show. And, uh, <laughs> we're gonna need you to. So we don't care because Kent's the best man. I'm glad you still keep up with him. That was a real. Oh yeah. it was a super meaningful event for us. Me, I that's the first time I had ever that yeah. had ever happened.
0: That was, was the first nervous.
2: reunion um,
0: when we, we were all together for the first time. I, yeah. I was that was that, just because. I mean, every angle was covered down on there, and it was something to hear. Because we just started talking.
2: Yeah, we hadn't I feel like it. probably should that have anymore. been done a long time ago. But timing is God the wars. In. The wars never ended. We were still fighting. All
0: the guys lot. were
1: still deploying. Well, I didn't know. Like you, the two rangers there were awesome. You know, oh, and those freaking guys. I, I, yeah, I, I obviously went up the hill with them, or they flew in that night uh, or the next night. Uh, How about that hodgepodge we had? It was yeah, great. And the the <laughs> Intel guy, frankly, was great, too. I was making fun of him, but I never knew all that stuff. Yeah. I was like, huh? Which, Marcus, we got like, I, I don't know if we're supposed to talk shop on your show. It's okay. But the fact that, uh, you know, they had all this exquisite intelligence and all that. You know how much got down to the ground for us? This much. Dude, we were joking about yeah, we, Yeah, we Dude, joked about that nothing. a lot. Sorry, I didn't mean to frequency hop on you. Well, whatever. No, that's talking great. about. Well, more, now, all this stuff, well you got to have some just kind just of ability thanks.
0: to freaking make fun of them for something. They can't be perfect. You don't be an asshole.
2: <laughs> well, it's so interesting now, you know, all these years later to have all of these different people put all the puzzle pieces together because it was such a shit show when it was going on, obviously. But now... And there was a lot of emotion after that, and a lot of guys had a really hard time after that, but now that all of these years have gone by, it's like y'all can all talk about it now without okay. getting Yeah, the angry. only reason
0: it turned into a shit show is because everyone was in there, and it was pure guerrilla, kind of all the tech and everything, and so when, as we've had time to reflect on it, when I talk to people, they'll come up and say, man, you know, I was doing this, but... I had this problem and this is why I was like, well, you, it wasn't a problem. Actually, what was going down was this unit was coming in and blocked that with this, that, and the other it had nothing to do. And they were like, really? I'm like, yeah. I was like, you got to understand. Everybody was in there Yeah. and it may, you know, it makes them feel better when they hear that because it went down and then it d- disappeared.
2: Yeah. A lot of people <laughs> think that certain things are their fault. You know, well, we were on our way and got turned around. We should have been able to go and it's, It's nobody's fault. It was just a complete shit show.
1: Uh, You know, I talk about this uh, in a chapter in the book and that I described it exactly as you just did. I said it was a shit show. And what you said, something really powerful, two things. If I could be so bold as to comment, if you want me to be quiet, just like do this, like (laughs) stop talking, Chris. One is I still am learning stuff. And like you said, you'll you'll be out at VFW. Or you'll be at a, a, an event and somebody will start talking, and I will learn something every time. Somebody else had a role that I had no, and the story's never been told. I gotta tell you, man, I don't know if you wanna go there but I go really ahead. think that it's a story that needs to like, we need to bring everybody together. Oh. And that's why I like what Kent was doing. How, how would we, we was... even, that would be great. Mm-hmm. I, I, that would You'd be go... so much fun. That would be a mini series. that would last forever. <laughs> dude. You can't even. Because it's a lessons learned and you're all about passing it on. That's yeah. what we're all about now. And wow. our, you know, we're, you're not old. I'm old. It's all about passing on like, Hey, and you know the young kids won't care. We were talking about your sons and your your family, the young kids, and might are the same way. They never listened to me, but we got to do it. Uh, and you know, for you know that when we were out, when you were out there at South Carolina at Fort Jackson, you know, about three kids came out of there with a different view. That's going to help them down the line. And you were really good about that. And number two, so I I'm not putting any pressure on anybody, but I, I just think the story, what you said, the story has not completely been told. People still have pieces of it. And then the second point, you just—it's so—it's so so true about what you said about how we're older now and the the emotion. I I, we—it's so fun to see. Well, I have a problem because I call everybody out. Like we'll be at an alumni event or we'll be at an association event, and these two dudes that literally hated each other in two thousand and one that literally were going to kill each other. because they hated each other so badly are now best friends and they're all weepy and hugging each other. And I call them out. I'm like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop right there. Right. Stop right there. You know like what I had what?
0: to deal with with you
1: two? So <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, but it is so true that now uh, I had, Oh my gosh. Like we had, we had this boss. He was like the t- like remember band of brothers with the company commander. That, uh, it was the so guy who played good Prince Lord, man. We date. were
0: watching that last it, night.
1: David is David Schwimmer. Yeah,
0: Kevin Sobel is who we played on. Yeah, <laughs> we were so we we watching that of, last we had, night.
1: Were you really? Yeah. So I mean, that's timeless. So remember, it is. You know, when they got done at the end of the at the end of the war, they were like talking, and they go like, "Hey, do you think we would have ever have been this tight as a, a fighting force if we in a team if we didn't have the captain being such an absolute a hole to us?" And it was the same thing. We had an experience like that uh, before we went into Afghanistan in 2001, and we had a commander that was really, really tough. I mean, he was really tough, and we carried. I'm telling you, man, we carried that with us for 20 years. We, they, I never did this, but he was the the man who can remain will remain nameless, like some sort of that's out of that uh, uh, Harry Potter series, yeah. right? They were like, and, and I ran into this guy uh, last year at an event. And I was like, we got to put that behind us, you know? We just And I just went up and gave him a hug. Man.
2: That's awesome.
1: Because well, you're, t- well, you're talking about two different worlds.
0: It's like turn around yeah. looking back at an avatar you got to run around in. It's just... It, yeah. You know
2: what I was thinking about while, while y'all are talking? And I don't know why I've never thought about this before. But in this war, I mean, this is one of the biggest... Operations gone. I mean, obviously, it is probably the biggest operation gone wrong. Um, there needs to be like a patch or something that all of y'all get. Everybody that was involved.
1: Oh, It's a great idea
2: to almost you know, like the in Vietnam there was all different kinds of just memorable missions or whatever that happened, and and you know, somebody can say I was part of that, or I and you know what you know what that was.
0: Yeah, I always I could always tell when I run into somebody because the way they respond, they, they, they kind of sit back and they always take a breath and they do their head like this, They're like. Whoa. Nah. <laughs> oh, right. I'm, I'm
1: sorry. Did I, I didn't mean to. This first time I've been able no, to no, talk no, to you no. about it. Well, it, one, so I, I, no, it's I don't great. Like I, I love it when I run up, into but, everyone
0: because we you, talk about you, different
1: angles. You play a role as a you, I know it's got to be a heavy burden for you to bear and you and your family to bear, but I think you carry it lightly and you realize that this is this is the path that the Lord's put you on, and uh, you you accept that. But it's got to be really surrealistic for you guys to be literally. You are the face of the war uh, because there are a few other uh, legendary figures that came out of that. But that so much of it was a special operations war where there, and a lot of these guys are still serving. You know, yeah. that's, and that's so the thing. I just I just man, I don't know how you how do about it. that.
2: Yeah. There's I mean, the so freaking guys, guys still in. Yeah, there's so many guys that we can't talk about.
0: With that band of brothers, my brother and I watched that exact scene last night, and I and we said that exact same thing, because when I watched that as a kid, I was like, dude, that guy is a dick. I mean, he's freaking mean. Ugh. And I had instructors like that. Sure. And then watching it last night, my brother and I were like, how about that dude? I was like, that's the guy that made him that tough. How badass. He's actually a great leader. Yeah. They were only yeah. with him for a few weeks, but hell was longer. So who's... And he never gets any credit for that. I ran across on a golf course one time, my Instructor Getka, I'll never... I mean, I was a SEAL for a while, I thought I was a badass, and I was literally on a freaking golf course, bro. And he's like, Latrell! And he said, I almost pissed myself when he said my name. I'll never forget his voice, just because he was really good at yelling at me. Like, his voice and where he came from in the country articulated my name well when he yelled. And said it with some damn authority. And I'll never forget my, the hammers I had that pounded the, me into this because I would have never made it through that. He no one snapped had, you right
1: back in. Oh, man, just
0: it. like that. And they, they, <laughs> they, hey, that's what they're for. What do you care exactly. if they like you? They're young. Yeah. When it's like kids, like, man, you, I ain't your dada. I don't give a shit if you like me or not. I'm going to get you freaking right.
2: Yeah.
0: I got kids I got to love, you know, and I still treat them hard.
1: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they, they serve their purpose, man. Isn't that the power of? I mean, that's the transformative power of our our the way we do things in our military. I don't think it's that way all across the world. Even no, you know, sometimes it gets like American, like, oh, we do things differently. We're special or something. But I really think in that in that regards, the way we uh, we train and mentor uh, people that come into the military is different. Like I saw, I'm down here at 7 uh, Special Forces Group. I, hey man, I I retired in 2014. I, I was like, I don't know how special operators work. I'm down here with uh, Green Berets. They let me walk along and see them on one of their exercises because I, I was like, I want to see how they do things now. You know, I wanted to see what new equipment they had. They, you know, how they were integrating technology and all. I walked along, you know, and um, and it's it's just like to hear the stories. Of kids, my thing is always, I'm like, Hey, what did you do wrong to end up in the army? They start laughing, and the, every story is so transformative. You know, either it was get go to army, go to jail, flunked out of college, was literally sitting there going, my life is I'm going to end up in jail if I don't get my stuff together. But that's self, we're all like that. And then. Yeah. And then then to have like a a structure that will take those people in and then form them differently, you know, and and change how they uh, view life in a good way. It's just so, and then you got that on the golf course where this guy, where your old instructor, and you just snap right back into like uh, where you were. Well, right. They're like, Hey, you guys are the special
0: 80. kids. And I was like, oh, really? Have you seen what they do? They beat us every day. Do you do that to your <laughs> special freaking kid? Matter of fact, when we weren't in combat, they would stick me underwater for six to eight hours a day with a couple of my buddies. We must've been so damn special or we're just fricking crazy either way. Or worst-
2: it was the world's greatest adventure
0: or Come to find out, it was the world's <laughs> greatest adventure. It took, it took me getting all the way to here to know that. She's the best at that. She pulls, she'll say something to me like three words, just like that. The other day, I was kind of getting uneasy about something. She's like, well, you might as well utilize it, take advantage of it. Instead of looking like it was trying to hit me, I, I was, co- I, she's like, well, fight it, you know, work it. And I was like, oh, you know what I mean? It just takes a couple of words from one of your, from either your spouse or your pal to turn it around. But when it comes to yeah, special right. forces, I always laughed about that. You just said it too, like how special. All right, you have to whip their ass every day. Yeah. I mean, you all, all you give them is shiny things and toys. But it's amazing
2: how you can take kids, <laughs> and not everybody that goes into the military is, you know, walking a line of, of, you know, gonna be in trouble or whatever. Your SF dudes are, but, but not all of them. Bullshit. Anyway,
0: <laughs> but it no, is. Okay. I'm pretty sure 99. Maybe 7%. No.
2: Okay. It is crazy that, like he said, you can take these guys and, like Plato, mold them into just these awesome warriors that have not just the ability to fight for our country, but their honor and integrity and just their, their reason for living at that point changes. And it—that's so cool—and that's who they carry on to be for the rest of their lives. That goes into their marriage. That goes into just who they are as people. That I mean, the my military. Dad, does my that. dad
1: had a great line when I decided at seventeen I was—you know—I needed a signature to join, uh, join the reserve, and he said, "Chris, you know, my dad wasn't all about like giving big speeches." He goes. The army makes a good man better and a bad man worse. And I'll tell you what, t- and I was like, w- rolled my eyes. Like, yeah, whatever. Stuck with me, obviously. What? Hey, that's, that's a good one. Later, that's a really good. thing? So but what you over... said, I was gonna say, hey, Marcus, I want to try some. Uh, my, I got another thesis on uh, special operators. They're all frustrated athletes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, no, they are all
1: like. They're all like, I, I should have made All-State high school or I, I, I got screwed over right. by my coach. Four touchdowns you know, in a single game in high they're school. Still, they're fun. trying to make up for not not being, you know, first team or something. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> try, try that. How about that? No, do, no, no. We, we have two
0: back. guys in our crew that I grew up with. We call them the athletes and, and, and the trumpets, right? Because they had a band playing for them and everything. They, they got uniforms and they got the military. We, we just, it's almost like your bastard stepbrother or your cousin. <laughs> yeah, that's us. I try to, t- to point that out to people like, no, you guys are wonderful. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the wildest Mustang makes the best pony or best horse, right? So, yeah, right. And the reason they say this thing's made of clay, because you can mold it. And like you take those, the socket's wrapped in is completely. Don't worry about all that. But when they throw those guys like us in there, man, and when it comes back out with discipline, it's relatively the same thing. And my, I always thought, man, they throw us in in our early 20s, and because we had war, we got stuck at that. Like the reason you and I talk the way we do is because that's how we talked when we went in.
1: Never thought about that. That's exactly exactly right.
0: Once manhood showed up and like kicked us in the face, we got stuck there. And then discipline started flowing in on that. When most people have an advantage to where they can cultivate that that part, we didn't have that because another war kicked off. And then for every episode that we went through in in that receive, reflect, respond kind of attitude – before we could go back and, and worry about it, another one came in there. Because we got Never hit thought here. about that. That's yeah, so a fighter. You know, it's just like, man, I, oh, my chief had to teach me this. He's like, you know what's happening to you, right? He would always tell me, and he's like, I'm just sharpening you. I was like, life is sharp. This is what this is. He's like, you signed up for this? He would always remind me that. He's like, I thought you wanted to be a badass. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, well, this just is calling you th- out? Yeah, all the time. Never never, slow down on me. Gothro? Yeah, man. He'll still call me <laughs> he up. This still dude does it. <laughs> this dude's the baddest son bitch on the planet, drives a Prius, and smuggles cats from rescue shelters to their new owner. This, this is where they hide this dude. I mean, he's the baddest man on the planet of Earth.
1: and uh, I'm not kidding.
0: This he is a real He really
2: dude. does. This guy- It's hilarious. It's like, if you see him, you would never know he was a special operator. Oh, I mean, he- He
0: hides it so, down. Yeah. He
2: is like, he looks like just the best- dad, dad. Like, like a dad he just looks like a great dad that would just love you so much and never yell at you but he mm. was one of marcus's Ugh. chiefs and he- <laughs> he's my
0: c dad he's like always been my my entire life he caught me Still. the minute i got there yeah he spotted me he's like your ass is going with me i'm like Roger. he's like i want you on the edge where the demons live i'll pull you back when you had enough that's the first thing he said to me and i was I was like twenty three. I was like, "Yeah,
1: <laughs>
0: let's do that." What do you think he saw in you, man? I, that's the Some of them, th- those men, you could tell that they were like that when they were younger. Oh, okay, yeah, and they can see that. They can, you can recognize yourself. But it, even though it's in a different kind of wrapped in something different, just by the mannerisms. I, and he was with me. That sucker never left my side, man. So
2: I think when it comes, I mean, it's obviously. We, not talk about you too much. We'll talk about him. But, um, (laughs) we're
1: going to talk about Marcus's favorite subject.
2: Well, but I, I do, right. (laughs) But I do think that, um, with, in regards to Marcus, when he was younger, what I've heard these, his mentors say is that you could beat Marcus to death and he would always get back up for more. Like he Never wasn't Yeah, he wasn't the the fastest or whatever, the the strongest, but he would not quit. He just always kept going. I mean that's what everybody says about you.
0: Terminator core.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that's all I got. So I think yeah, that's like- what they saw in him is that no matter what's gonna go through with this guy. He's not going to just—he's not going to stop, and we can train that into whatever they needed. They could mold him perfectly because he wasn't going to—and
0: a, ha- a happy attitude. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's it's, it. Fun. I mean, yeah. If you're gonna, once you realize that everything down here has been trained to hate me, kill me, come at me no matter what, then you kind of like, all right, well, I might as well have a pretty good. When you come at me with it, I'm like, that's a good one. Yeah. You know, I mean, wow, that was good. Right. <laughs> and then yeah. then you, you switch it. So then it's just kind of,
1: you see things for the way they are.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. That, beca- that becomes a suit that I call that like the rocket fuel. When you come yes, to that level, yes, when yes, you right. have that realization, it's like, it, it takes you to another level. I also think uh, when you realize it's all about selfless service and it's not about you, like, I'll tell you, I didn't figure that shit. Out, excuse me. I didn't figure that out until I was like in my thirties. I think I always was a little, I think, you know, you talk to the people. The fun thing now is you can talk to the people you worked with when you were younger. And when you're a leader, you never know if they're being authentic, you know, genuine. You know, they probably want a 3-day pass or something if they're being nice to you. So, you know, I'm always, always hesitant to go like, "Oh, I'm a really good leader." Oh my god. Like, nah. No, they're they want something, right? right? They want something. Uh but now that you're older and you go back and you talk to people and you have a different relationship with the people that you work with, you know, that's one of the things that comes up. I think I I think I was authentic and a selfless servant then, uh but when when I when my whole being took that in, when my heart, my mind became aligned with being a self, you know, selfless servant and being a servant leader, man, it that was like rocket fuel, man. I don't know about you, but like that changed everything. And then number two is what you brought up, which is when you realize, like, hey, this is how it is. Might as well just embrace it and, and channel that uh, to give me energy and, uh, and positivity it's it's a game changer. I wish I, w- my problem was, oh, I just wish I would have known that when I was like twenty twenty one. you know? And I, so I wasted like 10, 15 years trying to figure it out. But, but
2: who gets wow. it in their twenties? I feel like nobody gets it in their twenties. Oh. You think you have it, but it's just not there. That's the fuel that keeps you going. Yeah.
0: And what happened to us, that's the only thing I can rationalize. Is that, remember our generation, I mean, we were fed, like the movies we were fed, Our toy, from everything was just like, get big, fight, feed, breed, boom, boom, boom. And then we get into an opportunity where we go in there and we apply that, two wars, 20 years. You want to talk about road testing something? You made us into something you can't believe. The only way you temper something that was created like we were is you got to put death around it. Old, the, our, our elders act the way they do because of the amount of death that's around them all the time. You and I have seen more death at a young age, so it catapults us into that freaking bracket. You think like that? Mm-hmm. That's that's the only Mar- way I can think is because death's always around.
1: Huh? Yeah, I, I mean that that was like there's some sort of like poem or uh, you see all that white in your that, hair that was always. Oh, you don't I mean, get that by t-
0: accident. It's not great. Twenty years that's death white
1: just like lurked right there. It was always there. I, mean, I think th- I hadn't thought about that, man. You're like bringing up a lot of stuff. My book I talk about uh, my uncles were all World War II vets. My dad was uh, he was in he was the notch niche generation, so he went to Korea and they'd be like, Yeah, Korea How wasn't about a real war. And yeah. they'd be all, you know, they, they weren't big a couple of them were drinkers, but they weren't big drinkers. And but every time we had like a family reunion all the men would get together and they'd start busting each other's balls about you know (laughs) like you were you were in the navy like uh you know the iron bottom sound like whatever kamikazes i was a marine you know that was like constant in my family all the time and then my dad was like the young one and they're like and harvey you're a war korea that wasn't even a war that was a police action But, you know, you talk about like defining experiences and I picked up on that, too. And I know you did, too, just like listening to those stories and you're like, wow, man, these are real. These are real men here. So, Yeah. I ran into one of our our elders at a at a
0: seal reunion from Bud's class one. Oh, yeah. Bumped into him by accident. I was fetching beers for somebody else. One of the other ones. For, the chief, for, for, the, for the one chief. of the chiefs,
2: because
0: yeah. <laughs> your age is rank. You can't get above it. You can't get behind it. And if you're younger, you're always a pussy. Excuse me. You're, you know what I'm talking about. And he looked at me. He's like, you knew me, piece of, God. he didn't care what I'd been through because it <laughs> wasn't nothing. That's it. Look, we collect scars in this family, and you got to come down here and bleed. Mm-hmm. And, and We come down here to make the story, so when you and I get back up there, you better have something to tell. It's kind of like your key to get in the gate. So I mean think about that. And with our guys it's nonstop. I mean the story when you sit around just listening to them jokers go to work, that's my favorite. That I mean, around a campfire, I don't care if you're a billionaire, astronaut, whatever, or the poorest some bitch on the planet, around a fire with your boys telling them stories is the best. We all a, gravitate yeah. towards that.
2: Okay, so yeah. I want to learn more about you. Um you were the Secretary of Defense under Trump, right?
1: Yeah, last seventy three days, not a lot went on. Pretty quiet time.
2: <laughs> but that's still an amazing title to be able to be given.
0: That's why they brought you yeah. in
1: for that part.
2: <laughs> what was that like getting that?
1: Uh, so, uh, you know, I joined the Army Reserve when I was seventeen. Served. I was in from Iowa City, Iowa, and a lot. I think, like Marcus, you know, you're you're raised by people of values and and but it wasn't it was all about you know looking forward and so then i went the arm. then i went special forces but at the end of the day i retired i spent like 35 36 years either as a government employee or as a military person and then uh, i got fixated uh, i was in this horrible job at the pentagon i had what like a, i was a civil servant you know i was like government employee because my wife wasn't going to move. So we lived no one
0: there. knows about, the, that's the biggest mystery down here, is that sucker. It's like the pyramid over in Egypt.
2: Yeah, like what is a what? civil servant? Like what no one knows
0: do? what like, goes on like the Pentagon. It's like, like when you go to the, the Pentagon, everyone thinks office. CIA, Jason Bourne, <laughs>
1: right? <laughs> you know, it's like you are a government employee, like, like 4 million of us. Like when you go to the post office, you go to the civil, the social security office and the person that handles your stuff, that's a government employee. I was just like a government employee, bureaucrat, you know, moving paper around versus a political appointee, which is like each administration gets to bring in like two, three thousand people, and they're 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 uh, political appointees. They're not civil servants. Civil servant goes through all administrations. You just it's a job, right? How, how many of those pay- do we have? Do you know like who who that the CSs are? uh in the i think in the i know in the department of defense there are a million, million, million civil okay. serving empl- civilian employees like don't wear a uniform right, right they're right, like right. Handle, Check. handling supply transactions Check. that you know make it run at fort bliss or whatever right
2: but how did you get to be a civil servant so you were actually in the army before that obviously we went through that you were there for red wing um so how long did you actually serve as in a as a soldier role
1: Uh, Joined the reserves at 17 uh, and left as the army. I retired in 2014. So I joined in 1983 as a reservist weekend warrior type thing, went to college, retired from the army after I think I was 26, 27 years as as an officer, retired in 2014. My wife had moved, we'd moved all over during our career. And my wife said, You know, we're not moving anymore. The kids were kind of that age where they were getting into high school. And my wife and I decided that we weren't going to move our kids around during their high school years. And, you know, the army and its infinite wisdom is like, Oh, no, you're moving. So I, (laughs) I, I, I resign. Oh, yeah, you know. And so Marcus, I go to him, I'm like, Hey, my one uh, sole requirement was when my kid was a senior. I wanted to be there for their senior year. They didn't care. You know, they could care less. My oh, kids sure, yeah. were like, whatever. We don't, we don't want to talk to you, dad. But I wanted to be there for their senior year. So they wanted to send me overseas for one of my, my kids' senior year. And I went to my leadership and I just said, I'm begging you. I will, Next year, you can send me to Antarctica. I yeah. don't care. You yeah. can send me anywhere you want. They're like, hey, the way the army works is you stand by to receive orders. And if you don't like them, you can quit. And I was like, roger that. So I was, res- I retired but my wife wasn't going to move anymore. And I, I thought, I thought I could talk her out of it. She's like, you didn't hear me. I said, we're staying here. I was like, she goes, you can go wherever you want, but we're staying, we're staying here. (laughs) Let me me rephrase that. Your ass can go anywhere you want. (laughs) That's what it was. So if you're in DC, we, I retired out of Washington DC out of uh, one of the special mission units, uh, whatever doesn't make any difference. And, uh, so if you're in D.C., what are you going to do? It's a government town. Everybody's a government employee. So I got a job as a government uh, contractor and then civilian. So I I just became this person at the Pentagon that, you know, was a retired army guy who changes into a suit and goes and does the same, you know, and just starts pushing paper. But uh, that and the thing is, when you're a government employee, you know, you can do another career and whatnot. But I got I hated my, my I shouldn't say that. I had issues with my boss. Go figure, Marcus. Like, oh, special <laughs> operator having problems with his yeah, Air yeah. Force F-15 never heard pilot that. boss. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a combo. Yeah, and my, my buddy. Yeah. So my buddy was uh, running counterterrorism for the president, and what they call the National Security Council. The National Security Council is does all the foreign policy and national security advising to the president the vice president and it's located right next to the white house so i always tell my kids like if you are asked to interview for a job always interview because hunter are you listening you yeah. guys back there listening <laughs> always interview for the job because one and you're going to learn something and you might get the job and then it's at the white house so i'm like yeah i've not been to the white house in like 30 years so i go interview for the job and i be i start running counterterrorism uh, it's, it's called um for the national security council where you There's everybody in the government. Government's huge, right? So there are pieces and parts, you know, Department of Treasury, uh, CIA, FBI, Homeland Security, Department of Defense. All these people have a role in counterterrorism. And I got fixated on this idea, Marcus. I got fixated. Go (laughs) figure. I I did my net assessment and I had this thing against Al-Qaeda. Like it's still burned that they attacked us in 2001. Oh, you can't believe how that pissed some guys off. Yeah.
2: And they Ever were better. still
1: out there in the field. Yeah. And it's kind of felt to me like the government had just kind of not moved on, but wasn't taking it as seriously. And uh, so everyone at- knows how that works.
0: I mean, that that's part of it. And some of us are designed to to make sure y'all re- freaking remember.
2: Yeah.
1: So I was like, I remember being in Afghanistan one time in like, I think it was like, oh, four, oh, five. And everybody had moved on. The, everybody was focused on Iraq, like that's. And and there were a bunch of us. I was the youngest, but there were some serious old timers, like really legendary figures that we can't talk about. Yeah. And they they did this solemn oath. They're like, "We will not quit. We will keep working until they're defeated." Well, we didn't think it was going to take twenty years. And then uh, I'm the last one left. They'd all retired. They're all old men now, yeah. and women. And I was the last one left. And I kind of took that oath pretty seriously. It seems silly, right? You know, and it was around a fire, Marcus, believe it or not. Oh, sorry. It was one of those <laughs> things. They're not funny. Interrupt-
0: yeah, those are serious. Like when you make one of those, yeah. it means something.
1: And I took that, like you can call me stupid, you know, fine. I, I've been called worse. But I was like, no, I made a vow to see this one through. So I got in that position and I learned that Al-Qaeda had been seriously, seriously weakened from all of our attacks against them over the years. We called it mowing the grass. Remember, Marcus? Yep. like- just keep killing them off. Eventually there's Shame you know, not going to be anybody left. And it worked. And I was surprised. So I just decided we got to stick with this. So I was in a position to, uh, there were seven senior leaders in Al Qaeda left. And I was like, so I'd ask all the young kids, Hey, Marcus, remember, go to the, go to the Intel Sergeant who isn't going to like give you politically correct, like, Oh, you know, on this hand or on this hand, they just tell you what they know. And I'd be like, Hey, man, what happens if we kill Zawahiri had replaced Bin Laden? yeah. So we're like, we got to get to this guy, Bin Laden's replacement, and then we can declare the war over, right? Like we kill this guy and all the subordinates, we can say Al-Qaeda is defeated. Now, I get all this crap like, oh, you can't defeat terrorism. I am like, I know we can't defeat terrorism. That's a verb. We can defeat Al-Qaeda noun group and, and defeat. I won't go bore everybody to tears, but you can defeat terrorist groups or armed groups right we all know this so uh i just got fixated i mean i got obsessive well they're the ones you can disorder they're
0: the ones you can with countries yeah. and everything you gotta that means you have to kill everybody with that it's like uh, anything else we go out in there and root, root them out we will dig their ass right. out of there so fast that how do you what do you think we turn into i mean if we're fighting terrorists we're trained terrorists we're trained to cause terror to them so much so that there won't be another group coming back up in there after them because of what we did to them.
1: hey Marcus thanks that for was saying that was the mindset I could I could not pass my polygraph for the longest time because there was a question about you know do you support uh, do you support terrorism or something I can't remember exactly what it was. And finally the you know the, the poor kid that was running like doesn't compute. finally I'm like, what the heck I'm a special operator? We, you know, we basically, do, job, <laughs> you know, and they're like, what? And their eyes go different directions. And finally they brought in an old timer's like, don't ask that question to him anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I got really fixated on that. And, um, uh, and then, yeah, you know, special operator, right. I'm talking way too much special yeah, operator. Yeah. Like, what do you do, Mark? It's figure out the network, figure out the incentive system, communicate, execute. So that's I'm um, those are my. That's kind of my little, little rubric that I use, and I realized the only person that could get us uh, to get us to keep attacking was President Trump. So my buddy was close to President Trump. I didn't. I wasn't close to President Trump. So I used a surrogate. Right. I was like the only person that could tell the CIA, the Department of Defense, everybody that the priority is not you know China or whatever. It's, we're going to end this war by killing these people off. So my buddy, so he would go to the president, like, hey, boss, this is where we are. And I just execute, right? So we just became fixated. And then we killed off this head of ISIS, right? This guy was the most evil dude. And I'm, I'm not into good and evil typically when you're fighting your enemy because you want to keep a little distance, you know, emotional distance. But this guy was, he was the definition of evil. Like the things he did to people was beyond, is beyond comprehension. So we killed that guy. Our our counterterrorism forces killed this guy one night. And that's where I met the president face to face because he was in the situation room, watched part of the operation. And at that point, I think the president kind of identified this Miller guy, this guy with the white hair, kind of (laughs) tall, dorky, geeky, like he can get stuff done. And then uh, I so then I got. point so you 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 asked the question like what's the difference between a civil servant and the military so i was just like a government employee nothing special uh, just doing my job like they all do and then the president asked me if i wanted to become a uh, a political appointee so that's it just goes on from there and then just by a bunch of luck uh weird circumstances uh i ended up uh for the final bit uh working for uh at the pentagon running the pentagon well i'll just real quick like the president was right you know he goes we haven't that what's the biggest threat against our country Uh, and it was like at the time seventy-seven thousand americans were dying each year from illicit drugs flowing up from the border right i mean like like that's a lot of people you know Mm -hmm. and now it's 110 120 president's like we need to stop that what's the military doing The military is like, we're focused on China. We're focused on China. And I was like, no, we need to focus on the thing that's killing Americans and we need to secure our border. And we need to actually go out and hunt them down wherever the drug labs are and wherever the doggone drug cartels are. And we need to get really, really aggressive because they're killing our people. And uh, so the president and I were in alignment on that. He thought I could probably help out a little bit with that.
2: That's awesome. What did, did you, what was your involvement with that? Because that's still, like you said, I mean, the numbers have gone up since then. Do you feel like there was any headway made?
1: No. It's gone. The the Borg of our United States government based on, you know, it's huge, it's lethargic, it's bureaucratic. And, uh, you know, it became such a politicized issue that President Trump was seen as like, you, know, you guys are living down to the border you know what I'm talking about uh that build the wall and they just turned it into all this crazy nonsense political stuff but his point was we need to secure our border uh, from illicit flows whether it's human beings or whether it's narcotics or illegal goods and whatnot and uh a lot of the a lot of the uh people at the Pentagon I could just speak for the Pentagon homeland security would try but there was a lot of resistance because they feel like it's a zero-sum game if we like heaven for I'll give you an example. Silly radar, just a, a radar that could be used to look into the Caribbean to see the planes that are flying through. There was a gap in our coverage because one of them had broken, so we need the the commander down there and the people said, "Hey, we needed a new radar." But to do that, now we spend you know eight hundred billion dollars a year on defense. You think we could find a stupid radar, right? You would have thought it was the end of the world. So because we needed to pull a radar from uh uh the pacific to bring it in and of course the people in the pacific were. if you take our radar you know the united states is at risk so we just kept dealing with all this stuff and there was never that the the you the the whole pentagon as a whole never came uh to agree that we needed to uh use military force on our border and i i don't know what do you guys think because i think that's uh you know the purpose of the military is the uh not only protect and serve, but defend the constitution, but you know ultimately to protect the citizens in the United States. And I thought that was a pretty good use, but there's a lot of pushback for all these reasons that I can go on for the next three hours. And you're like, dude, stop talking because this show is not about that.
2: <laughs> well, I feel like with everything that's going on today, there's legitimate concern with China, but there's also huge concern with our border. And we live close enough to it. And my cousin, which is my best friend, um, her husband is a border patrol agent. So we, we hear firsthand stories of this weekly, and it is a huge concern that no one pays attention to. No one ever thinks about the stuff that's actually happening at the border. Marcus and I were actually, we were able to go down there and visit the, um, the, a lot of the different border patrol uh, stations down there. We even got to go on a boat on the river and see what was going on. And it is insane. It's insane. It's it's illegal. (laughs) And they keep saying like this illegal activity is going on. Then why not do something about it? Why not utilize our military to do something about it? But a lot of people think that it's just about asylum seekers coming over. That's, Not it at all.
1: See, You saw it. You saw it with your own eyes. And I don't mean to give some like national security seminar, but I'll just be really, really quick. You, the American taxpayers, we pay a ton of money, $800 billion plus. That's like 60 plus percent of what uh, what's available to spend. uh, The federal government does for defense. I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can do two things. Yeah, We can handle China. We can handle we can do more than two things. We can do three things. We can do China. We can handle Russia and we can also handle our border. But you hear these you hear the generals and the senior civilians like, oh, my gosh, we have to only focus on one thing. No, that's not what our military does. We can do more than one thing. And it bothers me that we had this idea now that the military can only do one thing. Like we can only focus on one thing. No, actually, the military can do a lot of things. We fought a world war. Uh, you know, I think we can probably do more than one thing. Yeah. So I don't know. What do you think, Marcus? I'm do- I'm just like, you, you, well, try it's just, usually I'm if you got somebody who's really good at one thing, it, it's then like, come on.
0: You just got a, a leader that's good at one thing and they'll always show you what they're good at. But there's many departments in the United States. If I told you that I was like, Hey, some strange dude is going to show up to your house with some random freaking kid to go in there and do, do God knows what, would you let that happen? I mean, if I told you two dudes were going to sneak over your wall with a kid that's not theirs, what are you going to do? You're going to give them a bus ride up to a hotel? Yeah. When I say it out loud like that, it ought to bother you. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what's happening down here.
2: And we saw Marcus we and I it. actually I mean, got not, to see it. We, If
0: you got people who aren't in charge, you're trying to be friendly with everybody, man, you can't do that. Because if everybody gets their way, there is no way.
2: Yeah, there were men in their... 20s and 30s with children that did not belong to them sitting on their laps waiting to be checked in and released into with them. America.
0: With, the, with some random kid. Yeah, Like you just let some dude walk in with some random kid That's to do not what with okay. him? What are you going to do with him? And we, yeah. He's like, oh, well they said they was going to show back up. With, with the kid? Yeah. I mean, it, if you didn't get their name in the beginning, which we all know it's horse shit.
2: Yeah. It's, it is a terrible situation that's going on.
0: You you, you reap what you sow. Mm -hmm. If you put leaders in like that, I don't want to hear you complain.
2: Yeah.
0: I I mean, this is, this is how we learn. Do y'all understand that? This is how we learn, man. If
2: (laughs) you have to sit back and
1: watch it go down, I I, I can't do anything about it. I just didn't think it was that complicated. I kind of understood what the president was trying to do. And then, you know, the other thing was, it's like, Hey, let's wind down these wars, uh, this, these wars. And. Uh, you know, I did my survey group of all veterans serving members and because I was like, Hey, what do you think about drawing down in Afghanistan? Every one of them was like, we got to do this, man. We gave it a good shot. Now, remember this wasn't going to zero. Like the Biden administration did, there was a plan for a deliberate drawdown and then have a stay behind presence, special operators and intelligence professionals that could keep. Remember we took the country down with 200 people. I was like, we can, we can hold this thing together, uh, and buy them enough time to get some sort of agreement uh so that was the idea that was the other thing the president asked so i was like all in and all my buddies were like yeah it's time let's go ahead because you know you always worry about we, we've all experienced loss there and you always think about the families of those that uh that you know gave their their treasure to this country you know so you wanted to be very very mature and very very thoughtful about that and i talked to families too i said they were like yeah, it's, it's probably time to start winding this thing down. We gave it our best shot. Let's go ahead and transition to something else. Not like surrender like we did, but uh, we had a different plan. That was the other thing. And then uh, what I really wanted, we we took special operations, the forces that fought this war weren't getting recognized enough bureaucratically, so we helped elevate them. But here's the real one that at the end of the day, what we wanted to do was uh, you know, support uh, members of the armed forces veterans and their families that weren't being heard. And I, I can give you a bunch of examples where, where, you know, you go down there. I, my big thing was to go out in the field, go overseas, listen to soldiers or listen to people in our armed forces, listen to families. And, you know, so many of their things, I'll give you a real quick story. We're uh, in Bahrain uh, doing uh, Thanksgiving, you know, Marcus, how, you know, you always have to go out in Thanksgiving and serve serve uh, meals to the troops. We did that like four places in 24 hours it was a it was a lot of work, but I was glad to do it. We just kind of hopscotched all over the Middle East and Africa, served and talked to talked to people. There's this kid and um having a meal with him, this kid, young guy, probably 19. He was the admin guy. He was a navy guy, Marcus. He was in Bahrain, and his job was to make ID cards for family members. That was his job. Yeah. You know, and he how about that? I said,
2: How yeah, about said, that?
1: Hey, <laughs> and he he was kind of one of these like interesting kids you know and i said hey what's if if you were in my position uh what would you do he goes uh i would or i would get the his id card machine was not working because it was missing like a part and he goes i can't do my job because we're missing the part for the id card machine and if i was you I'd get me the part for the ID card machine so I can do my job and help the families, dude. I was literally like, "Excuse me," and it, it was so fun, you know. I turned over my shoulder because when you're the Secretary of Defense, you got like thousands of bag carriers, right? Sure, yeah, but, you know, you know, sir, it's here's something. your diet coke. Yeah, yeah, coke. that's a big deal. Yeah, here's your diet coke exactly at 32.4 Sorry. degrees. <laughs> I'm like, oh this is 32.6 degrees. I wasn't that way, obviously, but it was so fun. At that point, you just turn over your shoulder. You call up the the Marine uh, Lieutenant Colonel who's helping you out. You're like, get the guy, the part. So the next day the part shows up, you know, but to be out there, my point was for that period, uh, once we got, start did the drawdown once we did uh special operations elevation it was all about just helping out helping out people and i could go on all day about that but that was like the power of that and i felt like uh well marcus there was this kid um uh, uh jim moriarty uh they're from texas yeah uh sarah moriarty was killed in jordan uh during the he was at army green beret yeah the special forces group uh it, It wasn't Jim Moriarty, it was Sergeant Moriarty, excuse me, his dad's Jim. Uh, Sergeant Moriarty was killed uh, in a friendly, it wasn't friendly fire incident. They were going through, they were coming back from the field, they were going through a checkpoint and a Jordanian uh, shot, uh, started shooting at him. They have it all on video. Moriarty, like, deserves the Medal of Honor. As a matter of fact, his commander put him in for the Medal of Honor. Uh, But due to political sensitivities, like, they gave him, uh, I think, a Bronze Star for Valor. He's dead, right, obviously. So my buddy, who was the commander at the time, goes, you know, he got screwed. So when I became the uh, acting secretary of defense, I was like, we're going to we're going to take care of things that have gone wrong. And that was one of the things we were able to do was to elevate, to, rec- to resubmit his paperwork. And it, he was pr- his family was presented a silver star. And, you know, is that that was that kind of stuff where, you know, that's what we wanted to do was to make sure we recognized the people that were getting worked over and the, the system wasn't working for, you know, they, they always talk about mission first people always, but that's not always the case. So we just, that was our big thing was like, let's try to help make people's lives a little bit easier or to p- provide some solace to those that have lost their loved ones. So that's a long answer that that's, that's what we did. You know, you can argue whether we did a good job or a bad job, but tried to help out.
0: And I, it took me forever to remember that, it, the civilian operators or civilian contractors, they're, they're kind of taught to speak military. They're taught to speak our language. But like with us, when you threw us into the wars, we started speaking in slang. Like our, our military went to slang and then it got hammered in there and then each unit you were with, if you operated with them, you learned how to talk to them. So it was this... Somebody be reading a write-up for somebody and they'd be like, oh, they don't deserve that. I'm like, whoa, whoa hold on. What was that dude's job? And where was he at when he got in that? Because if he... If, he's, if he if he he didn't belong in there and got into something that's completely different, but it's so dynamic. Just take your regular fame that you live with and go throw them in into a war zone. Imagine what that's like, and then you're going to see who who does what. And there's a lot of comedy in that. There is, but then oh, there's yeah. the stuff that gets overlooked uh, uh, because it's just it's so dynamic. You got to go so fast with it.
2: Well, you did a good job. Yeah,
0: hell yeah, man, you had a great one.
2: So. <sighs> In your book, what else do you, uh, just to be able to promote your book a little bit, what else do you talk about in there? Is it all just what happened while you were Secretary of Defense?
1: No, it's much more. It, that's only a small part of it. I only did it for 73 days. It's really about uh, my experiences because we were talking about someday hopefully doing a lessons learned. I had a buddy of mine goes, don't write. Well, first off, I come out of government absolutely broke. Actually, I was like $25,000 in debt. I had no job because when you're a political appointee versus we were talking about a government employee, government employees just keep working regardless of who's in charge of the government. It's a political appointee at 1201 on the 20th of January 2021. I'm out of work and I'm not independently wealthy. Like a lot of these cabinet secretaries, these bigwigs, you know, they all have their jobs and I didn't have anything. So I had to start over. I literally had to start over while well, I was in the hole already, you know. So we're trying to take care of our families over the the family over the years. So I had no work. Uh, So somebody goes, you should write a book. I'm like, I don't want to write a book. But then they offered, you know, had an opportunity to write a book and they gave an advance. I was like, oh, this you get paid for this crap. Okay. (laughs) so uh, I now had uh, some time. So how am I going to write this book and what's it about? What I decided was my buddy goes, hey, man, uh, don't just tell us how good you are. Like all these memoirs of uh, the big wigs that have been in D.C. and the generals and all this, like, you know, their poop never stinks. You know, it's all, there's, everything's great. He goes, tell us all the stuff you did wrong. And I'm like, that that was always my thing, was like, you don't learn from when you are successful at something I don't, I can't speak for you guys, but I only learn when I screw something up. So I tried to use vignettes from my military career coming up where I did things wrong and how it developed me as a person. So the book really... I had a real revelation uh, after January 6th and all the crazy things that people said about our military. And, and I was like, I I've been suspecting for a long, long time that remember only 7% of Americans are veterans. 1% are currently serving. You guys know this, like the back of your hand uh, versus say coming out of world war II, right? We're like 50%, oh, you know, yeah. huge. And everybody knew how the military worked. And fortunately, we're at a place now where we don't have to have everybody serve. I think it's a good problem to have, right? Like we're not at war right now. So we don't have to have this. Everybody has to serve. I think we could talk about that, about national service. Oh, sure. Ways. That's
0: a whole, well, yeah. Because then eventually what happens is, you know, the separation between the, yeah,
1: you got, it. so I was seeing that Marcus and the stuff that we know, like, like, why did that happen? You and I are like, because that's the way the military works because Sergeant Jones misinterprets uh, a conversation or his orders and does turns right instead of turn left. That's just how the military works. works. And I realized that the American people had kind of grown distance and weren't familiar with their military. By the same time, the military was getting much more like uh, sanctioned off and kind of a negated community and they were getting separated. So what I wanted to do with the book was try to bring the two together. I know this sounds insane. Like why you, but what I wanted to do is try to like educate both sides so we better understand each other because at the end of the day, spend a lot of money in the military. The military is the only thing that really can threaten our republic, and that's a problem, and we need to communicate better. So I wanted to do that. And then finally, I was really, really, really pissed about the way Afghanistan ended. And I'm concerned that like senior leaders aren't being held accountable. Like Marcus, I had a buddy who messed up a supply piece of paperwork. We kicked him out of special forces. Uh, We didn't. I didn't. And I'm like, so we will fire a kid who messes up a piece of paperwork and our generals and our senior civilian leaders in national security, uh, aren't held accountable for losing a war. And so I'm all about accountability. I was born that way. I was raised that way in the military. You take responsibility for everything that does or doesn't happen. And I just can't get beyond the hypocrisy of all, a lot of these people who are all now, you know, and making tons of money is talking heads and all this. I'm like, do any other, any other business where you fail, you lose your job, but these people still continue to, you know, profit from these, th- their failed decisions. And so I'm, I'm angry and I hope it doesn't come across in the book because you don't want to be petty, but that's what the book's about. Those three things.
2: Do you mind telling us your experience with January
1: 6th? Oh yeah. Happy to, uh, I'll be simple. Like the, the cops said, they had it. We did a whole bunch of uh, meetings and a lot of coordination and synchronization meetings. The cops are like, "Hey, we got this." Uh, we usually with the, they put ten thousand police on the street that day. They said typically that ha- we can handle up to a million demonstrators with ten thousand police. The military. Here's the thing: military is not should never do civilian law enforcement. Yeah, in the no, United that's a rule. States.
3: Mm-hmm. That's a rule. What? That,
1: that's a rule.
0: Right? I might be. Because that
1: that's a law, that's I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, you can't put the boys in uniform, you can't stand us against their people. That's that's an absolute
1: Own, only with martial law, you know. Yeah. And, and, and it's like I'm like we don't we don't need to do that, right? So, uh we we gave I asked, I asked everybody, what do you need us to provide? There's a way to do it where you can provide military support. The mayor of Washington, D.C. asked for 250 people, quick reaction force. And we're like, you got it. You need anything else? Nope, we don't need anything else. Cops can handle it. And then it goes down and, uh, you know, they gave it it a good shot, the police, but got overrun. And, uh, you know, we got going with the National Guard. But here's the thing. Marcus, you know how deployment sequence works. You just don't snap your fingers and like all of a sudden people show up. Oh, I got and that's it. so I try to tell about that in the book. Like this is how the military works. Like this isn't Halo. You know, my son loves playing Halo. By the way, I play, I've i only played Halo once, Marcus, and it was in Assadabad against uh, Navy SEALs. And we were they had their little uh team room and we had our team room and we had it wired. Yeah, so we used yeah, government sure. like T one cable. It was great. So it was and and you guys just absolutely destroyed me. Well, we I
0: mean, invented the game.
1: <laughs> it was embarrassing. It's hard for y'all to have a chance when we're the ones that invented it. So.
3: That's funny.
1: Yeah, you you just embarrassed me. It was like great. I kept I didn't know how to move, so I ended up in a corner right. with my head going how about Master that? Chief. Remember that stuck boom, in the boom, boom. deal there? <laughs> and the Navy SEALs would come up behind me, you know, virtually and like shoot me in the back of the head. It was so much fun. Well, uh, it's better so, standing in that damn corner your whole life. But it's you know, it's not a video game, right? You know, it takes a while. You got to get your people uh, prepared to go out to fight, and so I, I all the inv- I finally read the one six report, and then uh, we did an inspector general report about our response because I knew we were going to get studied. And every finally after all the politics, Nancy Pelosi pushed the Department of Defense under the bus in the seventh. I could go on all day. Obviously, you triggered my emotions, but yeah, that's in the book, and I try to explain like this is how your this is how your military works. Uh, domestically in the United States. So try try to explain a little bit there. I'll sell like two copies. Nobody (laughs) will care, but that's not (laughs) the
0: point. To put people at ease the way it was explained to me, I remember watching the news when they had all the National Guard in uniform, the Humvees were up at the Capitol and everything, and they were all upset that the National Guard and the Army was, I was like, well, man, that's actually our most wonderful people. They're the ones that serve. It's actually their town. They just identified themselves by throwing their uniforms on. That's it, and then when it's over, they go back to doing their deal. what you the worst what most people think when they think martial law is that with someone other country comes in to try and impose law on us that, we, that, that that doesn't work here. You wouldn't be able to do that. I mean when Americans get pissed, especially at each other, we, we kill each other more than anybody. That's right. the one thing we got I mean that's just a that's a cold, hard fact
1: and, and but, we, you know take. That's true. That's exactly right. Now, that's the other thing where we kind of get ahistoric. And I, I don't like to give history lessons because it's pedantic and everybody rolls their eyes. And like my kids are like, oh, here goes dad again. So I'm not going to do that. But you just hit the nail on the head. Like it's it's the real deal. And you don't you don't put your military out in the street to fight fellow Americans unless everything has gone south. Because and that means like the cops are completely. Everybody's like, well, well, Chris, if the Capitol Hill was overrun that day. And I'm like, yeah, but there were still 9,000 cops available that could have moved there. So, at the end of the day, man, it's it's just super bad to have the military doing anything oh, domestic yeah. law enforcement. It's yeah, if there's a natural disaster, that's a different thing. Like, you know, when That's, completely different. Disaster, that's, that's completely, completely different. That's completely different. We're man. talking People's about two tones different, are things. different
0: Yeah, you're talking Well, that's right. Yeah. And when you're living in a divorced house like we are now, like most everything they argue about is is a divorced mom and dad Picking at each other.
2: Yeah.
0: One of them you, screws good. up. The other one looks at them and makes fun. I watched it when I was up there the other day when my brother got elected. <laughs>
2: yeah, we were sitting And that's there. how I
0: try to describe it. Mel and I were like, hey, man, this looks like a divorced house. And like, they literally bicker like a married couple <laughs> that live in that's the exactly house together. It. yeah. And that's what's happening. That you hate know. each other. That, that, that hate each other now.
2: But have to work together. Right, so when, got the kids, kids. <laughs> when
0: the kids bitch outside, one of them gives them a bunch of money to shut up. And then the other one straps the rules on them. That's what we're dealing with right now. And there's a transition of power to us. This next generation is coming in, and the baby boomers are kind of I, I get it. It's all part of the process. I, I talk
1: about <laughs> Marcus. Holy cow. It's all part of the process. It's it's so great, it's great, great to, to hear. calm down. Sometimes I feel sometimes I feel alone when I say these things that we're in the midst of a generational transformation, and our generation is going to pick this up. And I've got to tell you, we you know, I am so Excited and proud of our younger generations. Like everybody wants to like criticize them. Like, oh, they're on their cell phone all the time. They are so smart. This country oh. in good shape. Remember what they so said about I refuse, us? I refuse to get all down and like yeah. oh, the best days are behind us. No, these kids coming up behind us. But hey, Marcus, we got to be the bridging generation. Yeah, well, we, we always are. Got we, yeah, ship. we're the. We always the got hourglass. the crappy jobs. Yeah, we always got the crappy jobs we're not going to get any credit and that's all right because that's not why we do this business and that's why it's important what you're doing is to continue to like continue to serve and continue to educate and but we got we got to be the bridging generation that gets through the craziness of the baby boomers and all their self selfishness and hand it off to the next generation the, have, these kids are so uh um, they are so motivated and want to serve and believe yeah. in the best of people of course, our generation's like, don't do that. You're gonna get, you know, they're gonna, you're gonna get, you know, Right. But <laughs> the positivity, at, no, at, do you see that?
0: Absolutely. When you say we have to bridge the gap, man. Hey, when we grew up, we went at a in at a high school. Cause we went on the mall. Okay, hip hop became big. Like every one of us from black, every color flooded together. It was all great. Tech was about to come online. We're, this whole America was about to come a paradise. Then we get punched in the face during 9-11, and they jerk our ass, the whole generation, and throw us back to Babylon. while well, everybody else around here got to play with the new toys and stuff we didn't get. And it, think about what it turned us into. We, we didn't have a choice. I mean, we got trained and raised up in our adult, from kids to adult, over there, in Iraq and Afghanistan. That's where we were raised. So you have an entire generation of foreigners that were born here, like us. That's we got perfect. sharpened over there. And now that we're back, the younger generation, we can see the talent inside of them. It's all there. But the transition is everyone's kind of like free. I'm like, hey, man, just it's all right. <laughs> yeah, our generation's crazy. We had to be. But we, we'll get it done. Look what we did. They normally back in the day, they would have sent the entire country to go after bin Laden. Entire country. The army, everybody. We sent a handful of guys. We're, we're different. We, we're molded different. It's it, It's all right. I mean... Most of all of ours are still sleeping. They just got done with, with 20 years of war, so they're drinking and watching TV and, you know, whatever else. <laughs> yeah. I'd say yeah, PTSD it, is pissed off, tired, stoned, and drunk, right? They're, they're either one of those. It's they, just we went through a lot. We got back, and then everyone got sick. So 20 years of war, then we got sick, and then uh, now we're here. We'll be fine. Don't yeah. worry about it. Hey, mark I, I
1: know you're really, really involved with this. And, like, the Mar brothers – and what I'm seeing, what I love about our generation of veterans is we're not relying on I think the, I gotta tell you the government's trying, but we're not relying on like large institutions. It's like that's the story of our generation is we're gonna do it organically, we're gonna do it together. And you're a leader of this, whether you like it or not. And the Mar brothers and what people are doing with uh with alternative medical therapies and uh I think is just amazing. That is. And it it and and you know. Well, you guys are in the lead down there in Texas right now. Thank you for, and I know you're part of that uh, because I'm like, if anything can provide solace and help and assistance, why wouldn't we do it? Like, I don't give, I don't give a crap. Oh, as well, as we therapeutic- That's the problem.
2: Yeah,
0: It's like, man, every time I hear somebody say we can't get that done, like, and especially in the country, like last generations, well, that thing's meaning to be repaired for a hundred years. Why, why didn't it get repaired right now? The, Americans can do anything. And I mean quickly, I, I, it just blows me there's no there's no problems. we create our own problems.
2: Well, and what you're talking about it's actually a true healing it's not a, a pill bottle that's going to just have some temporary relief of something like when I met Marcus, the VA was sending him like a Costco sized bottle of uh, Vicodin in the mail. It was awesome and <laughs> I hated it. (laughs) I
0: had a great time. Everyone (laughs) else hated me. I had a wonderful time As his wife,
2: it was awful. It was so awful. I'm not even going to go there. It was just terrible. And we dealt with that off and on. I mean, for 10 years of our marriage and then off and on. But when we found this alternative medicine, which personally I would have never endorsed because i'm like i just don't like any kind of, anything that would be considered a drug i am you're just
1: like my wife i'm
2: super against but i saw what it did
1: to see those young uh they are young veterans or yeah. veterans that are taking care of each other and pushing this forward because we're and and you know that's what i just love it's like hey i love the vfw i love the american legion Nothing against them. They do great work. But, you know, this is like a startup economy with all these veterans coming out and they're like, Can you believe hey, that? And they hacked the system. They did. And they're like, Hey, do you realize that there are these therapies that are available? And what I love, it's all clinically, you know, used. So I, I just think. So what happened to us, man? Did so many of us get broke?
0: Our entire generation got broke together that we were just in hell going, Now, ah, what do y'all want to do? Climb back I, out?
1: I, I asked. <laughs> because I the guys and girls but are amazing. You, you, But you brought it up. I mean, the the same uh, fighting formation, special operations uh, fought this war and it's all right. You know, it's not like, oh, woe is us. But I don't think we have any data on using the same people to fight 20 years of war. I don't think there's there's no data. So, you know, there's all the therapies that might have worked in the past. We don't know how this is going to affect. I told you, Marcus, last night I was out there watching, watching the new guys uh, do a validation exercise, uh, special forces. And, you know, Uh, like I just, my back started hurting as they were carrying casualties and, you know, all that stuff, you know, if you're just in for four years, you can handle that. Right. Like, ah, you know, I tweet my back when you do that crap for 25, 30 years, you know, picking up casualties again and again and again, you know, who that, that we don't even know how that affects the human body, much less human brain. So that's why uh, probably overshare, but that's why I think it's just so important what, you and and uh, other people are doing it at the kind of grassroots organic level to provide support
0: oh we road test everything on ourselves before we'd even it's like and hey it man works. talk cheap get out there and it's like hey if you see that sucker is doing better you can just see it mm-hmm. too much talking get your ass out there and start doing that living right and let's see what, what what's what
2: it actually works and like i said i'm i would be the last person in the world to endorse it but i do endorse it because i have seen it work I know that it's an actual healer. It's not just a, uh, it's, not gonna ju- it's not a temporary fix. It's, right. it is actually healing. So um, I'm a full um, advocate for. All right, brother, we kept medicine. you on here for two yeah. hours, man. Leave <laughs> yeah. us with
0: something. Through yeah. all this, yeah. words of wisdom.
2: Through all this, what was your, like, give us some never quit
1: tidbits well I've got I've got no words of wisdom I'm just like insanely uh over the top honored to you know serve in some small way our great country and but yeah you bring up never quit and I love your theme and I love what you're doing and uh you know people well my wife oh I had a good one the other day my sister asked you know why do you do your why did you do all that stupid stuff I'm like, well, because I was raised to serve, and you don't you serve at the pleasure of the president. When your boss asks you to do something, I was raised that you uh, go ahead and answer the call of duty. And then, just when times are tough, just because things get tough, and uh, and you know, Mark's you had a whole different experience with like deep down physical tough, moral, ethical, mental tough uh, in, in DC, it's not any of that. It's probably moral courage more than anything. And when times are tough, you don't quit, you know, it's easy to quit. And I do tell my children, like, I got this question the other day, like if, Oh, I got a great question the other day. I was like, if you were, they probably sold off the internet, but it was a college kid. I was doing a talk and they asked like, Hey, uh, what advice would you give your younger self? And I said, I would have quit <laughs> more often because I can't quit. I was just raised that <sighs> way. I think and I, I know I'm you are too. That out too. So I was like, like oh, oh, if I could do all t- this
0: shit, I'd quit everything and be able to sit on the couch. Yeah, right. I was
1: like, <laughs> I, I tell my kids like, it's all right to quit because it wasn't all right to quit in my generation. For my parents, like, like you don't quit. Like you signed up, you said you're going to do this. You can, you're going to finish out your obligation. And then if you don't want to return, that's all right. But you, you're not allowed oh, to yeah. quit. Yeah. And so my, my takeaway from my experiences as the acting secretary of defense, where times to get tough. They talk about Thomas Paine talks about sunshine Patriots. It's like, we don't quit. Like you take the job, you see it through the end. And I'll tell you what it takes. Uh, you know, it's going to hurt your reputation. You know, your family's going to be damaged by it. Uh, but you, we also have faith because my wife's such an incredibly strong woman like you, that she would take care. I knew she could take care of the family. I knew we'd be all right because we had a foundation, but, uh, it's like, everybody's like, why don't you quit after January 6th? I was like, why would I quit? I mean, and it's not like, because I didn't want, I was the only one who could do the job, the military Marcus, you know, next man up, no offense. It's like, Hey, that's the way we're raised. I knew if I would have left, somebody would have come in behind me, but that's not what we do. You see it through to the end. You don't quit. So that's, not words of you know the wisdom. The big it's thing that's my scratched
0: experience? in the concrete above the house is in God. We trust mm-hmm. your ass gets stuck in a certain spot at a certain time for a certain reason.
2: Yeah.
0: And when someone's like, man, I can't believe you went through this. It's like who you want to go through it. Who, who did you want in this spot? This is, this is the one I t- had to take. I didn't even have to, I just want I, that I got appointed to same with you. You just kind of get moved into those positions because you were the one that could take it. And I'll just sit there and do this till you find somebody better. Matter of fact, when people come at me, I'm like, hey, man, I know you could have done a better job than me. I kill them with kindness. I'm like, I know you're better than me. You're so smart. (laughs) I like that. Boy, I I barely got through it, but I learned a lot of stuff, though, because every time I get my ass whipped, that's why I went in there. The most valuable lessons you pull are out of them kind of whippings. Because next time it goes down, people are going to be like, where's Chris at? That's some gun. He going to do some
2: shit. Bring Chris back. Hey, what do you think?
0: (laughs) What what do you think? Because not only that, you have to analyze everything. You got to go back and be like, what work?" and then there's just life, but people are always going to want to answer. John and I were talking, what's the hardest one to answer? The why everyone's is different.
1: <laughs> yeah. I love, I love that question. I just actually started learning hearing that one recently. I, uh, in the last couple months, like what's the why? Yeah. It's really powerful. And I, I do like, I got to tell you, you know, my sister asked me that question and I was at home, parents getting old, trying to help out. My sister said, what? Why did, why did you do all this? And I had never thought about it. I it, I was literally like, I was like, deer in a headlight. I was like, I've never thought about the why. Finally, I'm like, because we serve. That's what our family does. Because it was we cool. Serve. That's what I say. Yeah. I mean, because in the beginning, that's it, what it was. Because it was felt, cool. I feel like such a <laughs> moron, you know? I was like, I thought I would have some like, you know, well, it reminds me of Thucydides. And, you know, blah, blah. blah. I had nothing. I was like, because that's what we do. We just serve and we don't quit, you know? And that's. That, that greatest strength your greatest weakness, right? You know, that's why I tell my kids, like, it's all right to quit sometimes.
2: Yeah.
0: You
1: can are, change. Great conversation. Thanks. Yeah, I you bet, brother. I appreciate you, man. Yeah. So yeah, thanks he, a lot for doing this. I really, same. And all the best. If there's anything I could do to be of service to you guys ever, thanks for, and I'm serious, thanks for what you're doing with, uh, you got a crew down there yeah. of, of a lot of people. Uh, it's really neat to see your network. And I, I kind of am on the fringes with a lot of things. So it's really cool what you guys are doing. And, and thanks. It, it is a calling. And this is how I, this, I think this is what we do for the next phase of our life until, yep. until somebody decides something different. That's right. All right, brother. God
0: how, bless
2: you, man. How can uh, people find you? Like, how can people uh, get the book and everything?
1: Soldier Secretary. Uh, I forgot that I should... I'm traveling right now and I should... I gave one of my books away. I should now pull up the thing. Uh, I, I'm not like... I don't do LinkedIn. I don't and I need to do that. But I was you know, I came up in a community where you didn't do that. And so I still don't do it. But uh, yeah, so Soldier Secretary by Chris Miller had a great co-writer who's down in Austin, by the way. Hey, if you can. Yeah. Tell hey, what's his face. Uh, I did. You I'm I'm honored to do your uh, podcast as the coming out party. But uh, what's that? What's that one guy, Rogan? Give yeah. Rogan a call tell him he thank you uh, I'm sure
2: yes. I'm
1: sure Rogan like I know he had like he gets like these military officers on and they're all like wow 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 and I'm sure I'm sure Rogan's like oh man I can't do another one of these dudes who just like gives me the party lines and talking points yeah but, he's more of an you brought it up we are all <laughs> stuck we're all stuck in like 2003 right now so you, you give him a call and say Miller's a good Miller, Miller's not a complete, you know, stick up his butt kind of guy. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, okay. book is out. It drops uh, February 7th. Uh, you can pre-order now. And let's say hey, so I'm learning more about this publishing thing. And Marcus, we're all competitive, yeah. even though we act like we're not because we're special operators. Yep. Right. We are like, oh, it's all good. Never show. Ne- never let him see a sweat. But we are hyper competitive. Yeah. Uh, and I really, really, really want for no other reason than just to, you know, show the liberal media that we still have a voice out there. And I'd really like to get on the New York times, go into the belly of the beast and get on the New York times bestseller list somewhere on there. So it all comes down to pre-order sales, first week sales. So yeah, we're going to do what we can, can to push you to out help. there, brother. And I, hey, I'm making, you know, I'm making no money on this and whatever I make, I, I'll, no, I'll keep some of it. Don't get me wrong yeah. but I plan to uh, cycle in. I do uh, I'm on three nonprofits, one's for veteran suicide, uh, ones Daniel Elkins from Special Operations Association of America trying to help out veterans and families and those still serving and then I'm in this last one uh, I forgot the name of it, but it's a special operations one. so I plan to like try to take as much of the resources I earn off this if I make any money. I don't think I'm gonna make any money on the book to tell you the truth uh, you know to cycle it back into the Brotherhood and sisterhood.
2: Awesome. Right on, well, brother. thank you for your service. You've got an incredible career and just your story is great. Thank you. We're just, we're just getting started. Yeah, we'll you. Thank you. Thank All you right. so much. Bye.
3: And thank you everybody for listening in. We appreciate each and every one of you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. We'll see you next week.